Thanks, Clark, and uh, good morning, 10 o'clock service. Oh, man. Thanks, Roman. <laughs> Appreciate that. So, yeah, it's good to see you guys this morning. We are uh, continuing a series that we've been calling Far From Normal, and if you're a guest with us this morning, you can probably even tell just by the subtitle of the series. What we've been doing is we've been kind of journeying through um, the book of Acts together, and so we've been going through this New Testament book, the book of Acts, and kind of looking at the highlight reel um, as we've been going through that book together. And let me just say that if you are a guest, uh, we are in the fourth week of this series. If at any point what we say today is intriguing to you, if there's any questions that maybe arise to your mind uh, as we continue to talk about this, I would encourage you to uh, go to our website, graceohio.org. And uh, on that website, you can either uh, watch the previous sermons just to catch up, um, or you can download our podcast. All that's free. And uh, subscribe to that. Listen to the previous sermons, maybe when you're jogging or when you're in the car or whatever. And that'd be a great thing. But if you have any questions, we, we've already laid a little bit of groundwork in the past few weeks. And so that might be a good chance for you to kind of catch up on that. But basically, in a nutshell, here's what the whole series has been about. Really, we've been saying the book of Acts, this phenomenal book that we find in the New Testament, what it's really about, it's kind of a long book. It's 28 chapters. But if you could kind of summarize the whole book in a nutshell, you can actually do that. And the whole book of Acts is really, at its core, it's about the Holy Spirit. That's what the, the entire book of Acts is about. And as a matter of fact, we've, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the book of Acts. We said the reason it's called Acts is because, historically speaking, the book of Acts has been referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. And, uh, and so Acts is an abbreviated version of that. However, most commentators would say, and I agree with them 100%, that it'd probably be more accurate if you called the book the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because that's what the book is really about. It's about how the Holy Spirit is working. It's about what does the life of a person who follows Jesus look like, now empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's uh, about what does a church look like that it, that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what the book of Acts is really kind of at its core. It's about, it's about the Holy Spirit. And so because of that, what we've been saying for the past few weeks is we've been saying that the Holy Spirit, according to the book of Acts, really redefines normal. That when the Holy Spirit enters into a person's life, when the Holy Spirit enters into a church, that it redefines normal. And, uh, and this has kind of been the big idea for us in this whole series. Really, we've, we've said this is kind of the big idea in one sentence. It would be this, that the Holy Spirit makes the extraordinary ordinary. That's really what we've been saying. The Holy Spirit makes the extraordinary ordinary. And, uh, and to put it, maybe even to put it another way, um, if, you're, if you're taking notes, maybe you want to jot this thought down. But here's just another way to say the same thing. I jotted this down in my notes. I said that God's extraordinary power displayed through ordinary people is the ordinary work of the Holy Spirit. Right? God's extraordinary power displayed through ordinary people like you and I. That is the extraordinary work, or the, I should say the ordinary work of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And so that's just another way of saying the same thing, that the Holy Spirit makes the extraordinary ordinary. So it's because of that what we've been doing then. Each week we've been looking at a different passage of Scripture in the book of Acts, kind of a key passage. And we've really been asking ourselves these questions. We've been saying, okay, if this is what the, the Bible says in the book of Acts, then what should normal Christian living look like? Right? What should normal be because of the Holy Spirit? And the second question we've been asking is, but what tends to be normal? In 21st century America, in our current time and age, what tends to be normal? And the last question we've been asking is, if there's a difference between those two things, why? Why is there a difference? And, and uh, what causes kind of that disconnect to happen? So we've been doing through the course of this series. Now, we've been journeying through the book of Acts. And so last week, we were in chapter 4. This week, we actually want to jump forward a little bit. We want to look at chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to grab those with me right now and turn uh, in them with me to page 764 in those Bibles that we have provided for you to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And let me just say that if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, that's totally fine. We actually have some for you. 
and you can grab those Bibles. Hopefully you'll find them under the chairs there. Turn to page 764 is where you're going to find Acts chapter 8, and you can do that. Um, if you are a smartphone person or a tablet person, um, you can just download version, Y-O-U version. It's a free Bible app, and you can get uh, like any translation of the Bible for free on that app. It's awesome, and so maybe if you want to get there that way. However you get to Acts chapter 8, it's fine with me, but you want to get there either way. So Acts chapter 8 is where we're going. Um, as you're turning there, let me give you a little more background as well. As I said last week, we were in chapter 4. This week, we're in chapter 8. And so basically, here's what happens in between those two chapters. Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit comes, that the church, as a result of that, starts to grow. More and more people every day are starting to come to know Jesus and follow Jesus. And now they're numbering in the thousands. So by the time we get to chapter 4, there's over 5,000 people who are involved in this new thing that God was doing. And the Bible tells us that as a result of that, that some of the religious leaders of this time got jealous. They saw what was going on. They started to become jealous about it. And so the Bible says that persecution began. And so when we read chapters 5, 6, and 7 in the book of Acts, we see the apostles. That would have been like the leaders in the Christian movement. They're put in jail. Some of them are put in jail for their faith. In Acts chapter 7, we're told that one leader in particular, a guy by the name of Stephen, that uh, the, the attentions rise so high between him and the religious leaders that they actually stone him to death. So he's killed uh, because of his faith in Jesus Christ. He would have been the first martyr. Martyr is a, is a person who dies for their faith. And so Stephen was the first martyr. The Bible says at the end of, end of Acts chapter 7 that the death of Stephen kind of set off this huge persecution. And so now Christians are being persecuted everywhere. They're being arrested. They were being killed. And so as a result of that, the Bible tells us that the Christians scatter. They just go all throughout the ancient world. And by the time we get to chapter 8, we're told about one particular guy, one Christian. A guy's name is Philip. And we're told about this interesting experience that Philip has. That's where I want to pick it up. I want to talk about this experience that Philip has in Acts chapter 8. And we're going to start in verse 26. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read this whole passage of Scripture. And then after I'm done, we're going to circle back around. And we're just going to explain it. All right, so Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And so the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stand near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is a passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was depraved of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, please tell me, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture, and he told him the good news about Jesus. And they traveled along the road. They came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's some water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. All right, so... 
crazy, wild passage. Some of you guys, maybe if you grew up in the church, you've read this before. Basically, it tells us about, really, in this passage, we only see a few characters. There's Philip, the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Holy Spirit. That's really it. And in this passage, what you see is you see God leading Philip. Philip goes to this Ethiopian eunuch. He shares the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch comes to know Jesus, gets baptized, and then Philip just somehow disappears. And that's sort of the story. So this is a wild story. And my guess is if you kind of grew up in the church, maybe you're familiar with this story. You probably have read this before. But what are we supposed to do with something like this, with a, with a story like this? Well, some of you guys might remember in the past few weeks, one of the things that we've been saying about the book of Acts is we've been saying that Acts is really, what it's really doing is it's showing us how the mission of Jesus continues in the world today. And so if you guys remember in the Gospels, if you've ever read the Gospels, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ came on a mission. The reason Jesus came to this world, the Bible says, is to seek and to save the lost. He came to save the world by dying for the sins of humanity. He came to restore people who are estranged and distant from God to a right relationship with them. That's why Jesus came. When we get to the book of Acts, it tells us that Jesus dies, that he is crucified, that he is resurrected, and that he ascends back into heaven. So the book of Acts tells us that the mission of Jesus, however, it continues. It continues to go forward. And the primary way that this mission happens now is through the power of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus' mission to seek and save that which is lost is continued through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what we see in this passage, when we get to Acts chapter 8, we read about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, is we actually have a case study, right? This is kind of a, a picture of how the Holy Spirit does this. How does the Holy Spirit continue the mission of Jesus? And what I want to show you today is that there are really three means that we see in this passage by which the Holy Spirit works to continue this mission. I'm just going to tell you the three of them. I'm going to tell you right out of the gate what they are. And then we'll go one by one and break them down. So what we're going to find today is that the Holy Spirit works through the responsive Christian. Number one, Holy Spirit works through the responsive Christian. Number two, the Holy Spirit prepares the genuine seeker. The Holy Spirit prepares the genuine seeker. And then number three, the Holy Spirit speaks to the gospel. The Holy Spirit speaks to the gospel, all right? So we're going to get those three things together. Now let me just break them down. Let's look at the first one together. The Holy Spirit works through the responsive Christian. Now what am I talking about there? Once again, when you look at this passage, like I said, you can see there's a few characters. You have the Holy Spirit, you have, uh, you have Philip, and then you have the Ethiopian eunuch, and that's really it. But it is very clear when you read this that the primary character, the one that's orchestrating and preparing and doing all the work, is really the Holy Spirit. He's the one who's kind of setting things up. Let me just show you a few examples as you look at this passage. Look at first at verse 26. In verse 26, we see that the, that the Spirit of the Lord sends an angel to Philip. So verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now uh, that's an interesting conversation. I don't know about you, but I've never had a conversation with an angel. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit sends this angel to Philip. And you're like, how exactly did that take place? And what did that conversation look like? And I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. It just says that the Spirit sends an angel. The angel tells Philip, go down to that obscure desert road, that strange place, the Bible says Philip goes. So Philip goes down there, and then watch what happens next. In verse, if you look in verse 29, it says, then the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So the Bible says Philip goes down to that desert road. As he's at this desert road, he sees a chariot going by, and the Spirit of God tells him, go up to that chariot. And you're like, oh, well, how exactly did the Spirit tell him? I don't know. Doesn't, doesn't say. 
And then watch this next part. This is probably the weirdest part of it all. In verse 38 and 39, look what it says. It says, when they came up out of the water, so Philip baptized, uh, he was baptized by Philip. It says, uh, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Just suddenly took him away. And it says, and the eunuch did not see him again, but when he went, he went on his way rejoicing. And then in verse 40, if you have your Bibles, you'll notice it says, Philip, however, appeared at Azotus. And I'm like, what exactly happened there? I have no idea. You're like, how did the spirit carry him away? Was it like, was he baptizing the eunuch? And like, he's like, in the name of the father and the son. And then like third dunk, the Holy Spirit tells him to go. and He just takes off running. Is that what happened? Or, or was this like teleportation? You know, was he like baptizing him? And it's like, he's just gone. Like, I don't, I have no idea how it happens. But here's the cool thing. The Bible is not real concerned with telling us the exact way that the Holy Spirit manifested himself to Philip. But what it is very interested in letting us know is that the Holy Spirit is the one who's orchestrating and arranging the situation. And the way in which he is, uh, he is, he is accomplishing this is that he is using Philip. He is, he is using the responsive Christian to reach this person. Now, I know for some of you, maybe if you're a person that's not a Christian, if you're investigating Jesus, that when I talk about this idea of being led by the Spirit, I talk about this idea of, of the Spirit prompting, and those, that sounds so weird. And I understand that because there's been a lot, of, a lot of things that have been done in the name of the Holy Spirit in the church that have been crazy, and some of them very irresponsible and wild. And I understand that sounds like a really strange thing. And I know for those of us who are Christ followers, who do follow Jesus, we're, we want to know more. We're like, how, how exactly does that work? And, and exactly what happens when the Holy Spirit prompts you to do something? And how does he speak to you? Is it audible? Is it inside of you? Like, how, does that, how does all that work? Right? And, and here's the thing. All right? I genuinely can't give you a great answer on that. Um, but my guess is that if you are a follower of Jesus, my guess is you probably already know that there is, there's something in you that already understands this. And I could just, I, this is the best way I can explain it. I can tell you from my own experiences as a follower of Jesus Christ, that there have been many times that I have felt led by the Holy Spirit to talk to another person about Jesus. I've just felt that before. My guess is if you're a follower of Jesus, you probably have as well. I can't explain it to you any better than that, uh, except that it, it just, there's been multiple times where that's happened. And uh, I could probably give you a number of examples. Let me just give you one, one example that comes to my mind. And it just comes to my mind so quickly because it's so similar to this passage. I remember one time, this was a while ago, this was before I was married, I was single, and I was doing my, uh, my laundry um, at a laundromat, which if you guys ever, if you ever, ever do that, it's just not a fun experience. So I'm at the laundromat, and I'm just there, you know, doing my laundry, and I'm trying to kill time, so I'm reading my Bible when I'm doing my laundry, and it was mid-afternoon, so there was hardly anyone there. There was just a couple other people there. I'm doing my laundry, and there was this, this other woman that was there. She was probably in her, my guess was in her mid-30s, and she had a, 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 her son with her. Her son looked like he was probably a year old, maybe a year and a half or something, but he wasn't walking, so she brought with him, uh, with her, this like, uh, I don't even know what they're called. You guys know what I'm talking about, though? It's like, it's like a, a walker. You put the kid in it, and it's got wheels on it, and they can walk around and bang into stuff. So this kid was walking around banging into everything, all right? And so I'm just sitting there trying to persevere through the laundromat. I'm reading my Bible, and uh, this woman's over here with her son. She's on the other side of the laundromat doing her laundry. And I cannot explain it to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you probably understand this. I just felt a very strong urge 
that was like, I need to tell this woman about Jesus. And, and I was like, you know, as soon as it happened, it wasn't audible or anything like that. I wasn't hearing voices. But as soon as it happened, I, I immediately started questioning. Uh, is this me? Is this the burrito I ate? You know, what's, what, it, what exactly? And then I was like, well, all right, if I should talk to this woman, I'm like, how do I even do that? So I started to pray. I'm like, God, you got to help me. If you want me to talk to this person, like, how am I even supposed to start doing that? I mean, how do I even start the conversation? How do you start a conversation with someone in the laundromat? That's just so awkward to go up and be like, oh, hi, I like your laundry. You know, what do you say to the person? So I was like, God, I just, you know, kind of hoping that you give me a kind of arguing with God, praying a little bit. And as I'm doing this with my Bible open, this little kid, this little guy in the walker, runs into my leg. I mean, just full force, you know, right into my shin. And I was like, okay, this must be a nudge from the Holy Spirit or something, you know. <laughs> and so, of course, this little kid's mom was immediately like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. You know, and I was like, oh, it's, you know, no problem. I was like, how old is he? Just trying to start the conversation, you know. And she's like, oh, you know, he's such and such months. And I was like, oh, cool. I was like, what's his name? She's like, his, she's like, his name is Christian. And, and this is what I said. Uh, this is what I said next. And by the way, I would never recommend this because this is the corniest thing in the world. This was so dumb. But I was like, I don't know. I guess I'm supposed to say something. So I just said, oh, his name's Christian. I said, are you a Christian? And, and I'm telling you, this was so crazy. What happened in the next minute, this woman, and within the next minute of talking to her, in tears, man, she just broke down and started to tell me about how her life was a disaster, how the, um, the, the dad, the, the father of the child was out of the picture, and how everything in her life was crumbling in. And she was like, I, I've been praying more than I've ever been praying. I don't even, she's like, I've never prayed before I'm praying. She's like, I want to connect with God. I don't know how to. She's like, I, I want to go to church, but I feel like I'd be rejected because, I, because of my past and the things that I, and she's like, but I want to be connected to God. I just don't know how to get connected to God. And I was like, well, <laughs> I got a Bible, you know, and I opened it and we went through and I showed her some passages of scripture and I showed her the gospel and we went through and, and I'm telling you guys right then and right there, she accepted Jesus in the laundromat. It was wild. And so I remember I took my Bible after she prayed to receive Christ. I, I had her write her name in it and then I had, I put the date in it. I said, this is your spiritual birthday. And I gave her the Bible and I said, you need to get you know, get connected with the church, and she was so excited. And I remember walking out of the laundromat that day, and I was like, man, I was just, I was thinking I was just going to go do my laundry. This is way better. I was just so excited, and the joy that kind of came with that moment. It was awesome. It was an awesome experience. And, and all I'm saying is, one of the primary means by which the Holy Spirit accomplishes this mission is he uses responsive Christians. Philip was very responsive. The Holy Spirit said, go down to this road, this, on, on this, this obscure road, and Philip's like, okay, I'll do that. And he goes down there and then the Holy Spirit's like, go up to that chariot, which that had to have been so awkward because the chariot was in motion. So he's like, go run up next to that chariot. So imagine Philip like, this is so dumb, but all right. He's running next to the chariot. And what is he doing? He's just being responsive to the Holy Spirit. You know, I like the way that uh, Bill Hybels put it. Bill Hybels said this. He said, the most important factor in evangelistic potency is being alert and responsive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. It's so good. Let me read that again. He says, the most important factor in evangelistic potency is being alert and responsive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You guys, the good news is, for those of us who follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit is on this mission. And the most important factor is not how smart you are, not how per persuasive you are. 
not how intellectual, not how winsome you are. It's about being in tune with the Holy Spirit and how he leads and how he prompts. Now, I know when I tell you that story, you're like, yeah, that's a really great story, but it doesn't always happen like that. And you know what? It doesn't. I totally agree. There's been a number of times where I felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me in a certain direction, and after I tried to listen to him, I was like, I have no idea what that was all about. That did not go the way I was thinking it was going to go at all. And, uh, but, but here's the thing we have to believe. We have to believe that the Holy Spirit is the one who's at work in a person's life. I'll never forget, a friend of mine was telling me a story. A buddy of mine, he's also a Christ follower, and he was telling me about how one day he was uh, taking an airplane ride somewhere, he was, you know, had to fly somewhere. So he sat down next to somebody and started to talk to this person. And I don't even know how, but somehow the conversation went to spiritual things. And then my friend asked him something to the effect, I don't even remember all the details, but he asked him something to the effect of, do you want to know how to become a Christian? And this guy on the airplane, this was so intriguing to me, he looked at my friend and he said, you know what's really fascinating? He said, um, normally I would be very opposed to this conversation. I'm not really into spiritual things and I'm usually pretty much against them. He's like, but on my last flight, I just transferred from another, on my last flight, another person sat down and they asked me the exact same question. And he's like, so I feel like this is too much of a coincidence. So yeah, I actually do. I want you to tell me, how do I become a Christian? So my friend went on to tell him about how to become a Christian. And this guy in this plane accepted Christ right there on the airplane. And my friend was like, and I thought this was so cool. My friend was like, he's like, I got to experience the joy of watching this guy decide to follow Jesus. He goes, but what about the person on the other plane? They had no idea what God was doing. He said, what is that all about, man? That's the Holy Spirit. He's doing that. And what does the Holy Spirit use? He uses responsive Christians. Bill uh, Bright put it, put it this way. I'll just read a quote from him as well. He said, the man, um, he said uh, God's, I'm sorry, he said, success is sharing Christ in the power of the Spirit and leaving the results to God. That's, for a Christian, that's what success is. It's sharing, it's sharing Christ with someone in the power of the Holy Spirit, through the prodding of the Holy Spirit, and then trusting God with the results. And, and telling you, God works this means. And for those of us who follow Jesus in this room, and I know not everyone follows Jesus, for those of us who do follow Jesus, though, you have to admit that this point is equally as liberating as it is convicting, isn't it? I mean, it's liberating. It's liberating because it tells us that it doesn't matter how, um, how persuasive I am, how intellectual I am, how winsome I am, how winsome I am. Really, the key here is being responsive to the Holy Spirit. That's awesome for me to know. He's the senior partner. I'm the junior partner. He's the one that's doing the work. I just got to be faithful. Man, that is freeing for me. But, uh, but on the other end, it's also very convicting because... It means that for those of us who follow Jesus, the most important thing for us is to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I can just tell you in my own life that there are so many times when I walk into the store or when, I, when I'm just going about in my daily life, I am so focused on my agenda, on what I'm doing, that I, I very rarely, and this is, to, this is to my own discredit, I very rarely pause and ask the question, God, what are you doing? What would you want me to do? You know, when we walk into a place, we should be asking, for those of us who follow Christ, we should be asking, God, what, what are you doing? What would you like me to do here? Who would you like me to talk to? What's my move? And, and one of the things we see about Philip is Philip, man, the Spirit tells him, go down to that desert road. I'm sure that wasn't on the agenda. I'm sure that wasn't part of his plan, you know? He's like, go run up next to that chariot. I'm sure that wasn't like on his to-do list. But he was sensitive enough that when the Spirit led him, he was 
able to be responsive to him. And I think the question we have to ask ourselves, those who follow Jesus, is are we in tune with, are we asking, are we praying, God, give me an opportunity and help me to see it when you give it to me? Because God's on a mission. One of the primary ways that he accomplishes this mission is through the responsive Christian we see here in this passage, which, of course, that brings me to my next point, right? So we see that uh, the Holy Spirit works through the responsive Christian. Here's the second thing. The Holy Spirit prepares the genuine seeker. The Holy Spirit prepares the genuine seeker. And here's what I mean by this, all right? I think when we read this passage, um, we can make a pretty good case that the Holy Spirit has been working on this Ethiopian eunuch before this event took place. Let me just show you what I'm talking about. We don't know a ton about this Ethiopian eunuch except for what the passage tells us, but the couple of verses that, that kind of describe this guy to us, it gives us a lot of insight to him. So let's take a look once again at verse uh, 27. It says, um, Philip went on his way and he met an Ethiopian eunuch. He was an important official in charge of the treasury at Candake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Now, once again, we don't have a ton of information to go off of there, but I think in these two verses, there is a lot that we can glean from them. So let me just tell you a couple things that we can tell from this passage. Number one, we know this Ethiopian eunuch was a very successful person. The Bible tells us that he worked in the royal court, that he worked with the queen of Ethiopia, that he was in charge of all the finances of Ethiopia. So this guy would have been, just imagine this, he would have been like the CFO of the entire Ethiopian region. This guy is way up there. We're told that he worked with nobility, which meant that he worked with the king, he worked with the queen, um, he probably would have worked among the king's harem. We're told he was a eunuch. Some of you guys might know what a eunuch is. A eunuch is basically someone who was a, like, like a normal person who worked among royal people. And, as a re and, and because of that, as a precautionary measure, if a, if a, if a non-royal person worked among nobility, they would require that they would be emasculated. So this guy, this guy um, would have been emasculated. He would have went to great lengths to, to achieve this level of success, lengths that I don't think many would be willing to go to. And so the Bible tells us that he's very successful. The Bible tells us that he's a CFO, uh, kind of of this, of this major uh, country. We also know that he's very rich. Um, he, first off, we see he's in a chariot, which back in this time, man, only like the top percentage of the, of the population could, could even afford a chariot. It was like the equivalent of having like a private jet. So this guy's got a chariot. On top of that, we're told that he has a copy of Isaiah, which back in this time, you know, for us in our day, man, Bibles are just like, we have Bibles everywhere. You know, we have Bibles on our phone, all these translations. We give away Bibles here. That wasn't the way it was back then. Back then, you had to have a scroll. And the scroll took so long to copy that in order for you to have a copy of Isaiah, it would literally cost you the equivalent of tens of thousands of dollars. This guy owns a copy of Isaiah. So he's very rich. He's very successful. And the other thing we know about him, according to this passage, is not only is he successful, but he's also in hyper-search mode. This guy's in hyper-spiritual search mode. Notice a few things. One of the things you notice, he's on his way home from Jerusalem. What was he doing in Jerusalem? He was worshiping. You guys, Jerusalem is like hundreds of miles away from Ethiopia. So this would have been not like a weekend trip away. This would have been like weeks, maybe months. This guy's a higher up in Ethiopia, so he took time off of work just to go to Jerusalem. We're told that he is pouring himself over the book of Isaiah as he's going home. He is in hyper hyper spiritual search mode. So what do we have here? Well, I can't be sure because the text doesn't tell us, but I think what we have here, just putting the evidence together, 
I think we have basically a picture of what we see a lot in our culture today. And that's this. We see a man who has sacrificed a lot to, to achieve a certain level of success, to chase after a dream. And now that he's achieved that dream, he's incredibly dissatisfied. He, he realizes that the thing that he thought was going to ultimately bring him contentment, ultimately bring him fulfillment, has done nothing but left him hungry and thirsty again. And so now he's in hyper-spiritual search mode. He's looking for answers, so much so that he takes months off of work to go up to Jerusalem to try to find answers. So this guy, is, it's a picture of a guy who you can tell the Holy Spirit is working in him. Now my guess is that maybe even for some of you this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I wonder, maybe God's doing the same thing in your life. And maybe for you, you found that there's things in your life that you have pursued that you thought would lead you to a certain level of contentment or would lead you to a certain level of satisfaction. And in the end, they've only left you hungry again. And for some of you, you come in here today and you, you had all of this hope and ambition that was surrounding a certain relationship. And then either maybe you got that relationship and you found out that it wasn't what you thought it was going to be, or maybe that relationship disintegrated and it broke before you. And now as a result of that, there's a crisis because you're like, this thing that I thought was going to satisfy, this thing that I thought was going to bring contentment ultimately has just left me hungry for more. And as a result of that, it's put you in spiritual search mode. You're looking for a place to put your hope. For some of you, maybe you've put all your hope in your career and you've, you've like the Ethiopian eunuch, you've sacrificed a lot to get there. And now that you've climbed the ladder and maybe for you, you finally got to the top of that ladder, you got there only to realize that the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. And you're like, this is not satisfying me in the way that I was hoping it would. Or maybe that job that you put all your hope in went away. And as a result of that, you're hungry and you're thirsty and now there's a crisis of a situation. It's put you in hyper-spiritual search mode. You're looking for a place to put your hope because the place that you were putting it before never uh, followed through on what it promised. Maybe for some of you, you were living a lifestyle that you thought was going to lead you to contentment. But in the end, it just left you hungry and thirsty and wanting. And so now you're in hyper-spiritual search mode trying to find answers. And listen, all I'm telling you is if that's you, if that's you, that's normal. It's normal because you know what's happening is the Holy Spirit is working on you. In the same way the Holy Spirit works through the responsive Christian, the Holy Spirit works on the genuine seeker. For some of you, you're looking for answers. For some of you, when you're around other people, you act like you got it all together, but at nighttime when you lay down by yourself and you look at the ceiling, you, you, you're filled with uncertainty. You're filled with, man, there's got to be something more. You're filled with an inner longing inside of your heart. And I'm just telling you, if that's what's happening, that is the Holy Spirit of God. And he's working in you. He's working in you. C.S. Lewis called him the hound of heaven. He's after you. And he loves you. And he has a message that he wants to give to you. So what we see in this passage, I just want you to see this. We see God, through the Holy Spirit, working this scenario through multiple angles, right? He's sending Philip. And at the same time, he's working on the Ethiopian eunuch. And all of this situation culminates in this next part. And this is the third point that I want to make. The Holy Spirit speaks through the gospel. The Holy Spirit speaks through the gospel. All right, now let me show you what I'm talking about. Check this out. Verse 30. So then Philip ran up to the chariot. That had to have been so awkward for Philip, by the way. The Holy Spirit's like, go up to the chariot. He's like, really? He's like, a chariot? That's like, this guy's a high roller. He's got a lot of money. This is probably a pretty established person. The Holy Spirit's like, yeah, go run up next to his chariot. Okay. So Philip just goes up to the chariot, starts jogging next to it. How awkward, right? 
It says, he jogged up next to the chariot and he heard the man reading from Isaiah the prophet. So this guy's reading Isaiah. Apparently he's reading out loud, which would have been very common at that time. And so Philip just starts the conversation. This is an awkward conversation starter. He's like, you understand what you're reading? Just imagine that. He's like, hey, you, you understand that? <laughs> and the eunuch's just like, how can I? He just goes with it. How can I understand this unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip in to sit shotgun with him. And then look at this, verse 32. This is the passage that he was reading. Look at this passage he was reading, by the way. Talk about a hanging curveball. Look at this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. He was a lamb before its shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was depraved of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And so the eunuch says, look at this. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please. He's pleading, please tell me, who is this? Is this the prophet or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage, and he told him the good news about Jesus. That word good news is the same word we get our word gospel from. Philip told him the gospel. Now, listen, there is something about this passage that, that we also know that I have not mentioned yet, and almost all the commentators agree, and this is mind-blowing to me. One of the things that we know is that this eunuch, this Ethiopian eunuch, was going home from the temple. He was on his way home from Jerusalem, all right? We know that. Now, now here's the crazy thing. Um, the Ethiopian eunuch went up to Jerusalem because he's in high spiritual search mode. He is looking for answers. When he gets up to Jerusalem, most likely what would have happened is because he was a eunuch, because he was emasculated, because he had been castrated, he would not have been allowed, according to Jewish law, Deuteronomy chapter 23, 1, says that if a man is castrated, that he is not allowed to be a member of the temple. So he would have come up to Jerusalem to find answers. And when he would have got there, they would have told him, because of your situation, you're not allowed here. You're allowed to go on the outside. You're allowed to go in the temple courts, but you're not allowed to go in the temple. You're not welcome to be a member here. He would have been told that because of his condition. And now the Bible tells us, I just, guys, I just want you to imagine this for a minute, all right? Just try to sympathize with this guy. He, he has given his life and he has sacrificed a lot to be in the position that he's in, only to find out that it's not gonna satisfy him the way that he thought it was gonna satisfy him. So now he's in hyper-spiritual search mode. So he goes up to Jerusalem, the only place he knows where maybe he can find some answers, right? And when he gets there, they tell him, you're actually not welcome to be here because of your situation. You can stay on the outside, but you're not allowed on the inside. So he's rejected by religion. He's burned by his past experiences. Now he's riding home in his chariot, and the Bible says that he is pouring himself over the scroll of Isaiah. He is desperately trying to find answers. I want you to imagine just for a moment how this guy must have felt, how rejected he must have felt, how despised, how, how deformed he probably felt burned by religion, rejected by these past experiences, thirsty from, from pouring his life into things he thought would bring contentment but never did. And now he's pouring himself over the book of Isaiah and he's trying to find a place to put his hope. And then the Bible tells us that he's in the latter part of Isaiah. Now this is so cool because, you know, in our modern Bibles, we have like chapters and verses. They didn't have that back then. And so if he was reading in Isaiah chapter 53, which is where he was reading from, that meant that he also would have been reading in Isaiah chapter 56. And let me show you 
what Isaiah 56 says. This is so crazy. So this is what this guy would have been reading. Look at this. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain. I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant to them, I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. So I just want you to imagine this eunuch, rejected at the temple, is riding home in his chariot, and he reads this passage. Can you imagine how that must have cut him to the heart? He reads it, and he says, man, there's hope for me. This passage tells me that God will give me an everlasting name, that God is the one who will redeem me. And he's like, there's hope here. There's hope here. But how do I lay hold of this hope? How do I gain access to this hope? And then he reads Isaiah 53, and it talks about this suffering servant who gives this hope to people. And let me just give you, we, we have a little snapshot of it here, but let me give you a little more of what Isaiah 53 says. Here's what it says. Look at this. This is awesome. Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we were healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Some of you guys might remember when Jesus was on trial, he was being accused, and he just stood there silent. Here's what it says. He, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of this generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people... He was punished. You guys, these words were written 700 years before Jesus Christ even entered the scene. And all of this is a foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ was going to do on the cross. Now, here's the thing. This Ethiopian eunuch, remember, burned by his circumstances, rejected by religion, is riding home, and he realizes that there's hope for him. There's hope for the eunuch. And he's like, there's hope for me. He's like, how do I get this hope? And then he reads about this suffering servant who's going to die for his iniquities, who's, who, who by his wounds he's going to be healed, right? And he's reading it, and he's like, I don't understand this. And as he's reading that very passage, the Bible says this nincompoop comes jogging up next to his chariot. I mean, how, what, what kind of coincidence is that? And he's like, hey, you know what you're reading? He's like, I don't. Can you please come up here? And then he's like, sure. And they read the passage, and he said, can you please tell me, who is this guy? Who is this person that I'm supposed to find my hope in? And then look, look at the passage again. Look at verse 35 again. It says, then Philip, beginning with that very passage, began to tell him the good news about Jesus. He began to tell him the good news about Jesus. You guys, that's so important because up to this point for this eunuch, it was nothing but bad news for him. Up to this point, nothing but bad news. He, he wanted to, to be a CFO in this company, and they said, okay, well, we got some news for you. In order for you to be the CFO, you have to be castrated. That's bad news. That's really bad news, right? He's like, he, he does all of that. He achieves this high level of success. He thought it was going to be fulfilling. It's not. It's bad news. He's in high spiritual search mode. He goes up to Jerusalem to find some answers, and they kick him out of the temple because of his condition. It's bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. And now he's reading this passage. 
And as he's reading it, Philip comes up and he says, let me tell you the good news, man. I got some good news. Here's the good news. You're more accepted than you can believe. You're more loved than you can imagine. How much do you think God must have loved this guy if he went to that length to simply get that message to him? He sent an angel to Philip. He prompted Philip. He worked all these circumstances out for this one moment. And in this one moment, it all accumulated together. And God used Philip. God used the Ethiopian eunuch in the circumstances. And God used the gospel. And all those things together led this guy to know Jesus. And the Bible says as a result, this guy was so elated. He, couldn't, he was so excited. He's like, let's just get baptized right now. Let's just do this thing. Which, by the way, baptism is just, an, what that is, it's an, outward, it's an outward profession of an inward reality. It's me saying, I'm going public. I'm going to follow Jesus, and now I'm going public. That's what it is when you get baptized. He's like, let's just get baptized. And it's just this amazing thing. Listen, for some of you this morning, as, even as I'm talking, for you right now in your life, it's been bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. Maybe for you, in your, your experiences, maybe you have chased after things that you thought would be satisfying and have ultimately left you hungry. Maybe for you, you've been burned by religion. Maybe for you, because of your past experiences, because of where you've been, you feel deformed, you feel rejected, you feel despised. It's bad news, but listen, there's good news for you. There's good news, and here's the good news. It's the gospel, and what is the gospel? In a nutshell, here's the gospel. You and I are more messed up than we think. You're more messed up than you think you are. I'm more messed up than I think I am. But we're more accepted than we could believe because Jesus Christ has taken on our sin and our iniquity for us. He died for us. It's the good news about Christ. Now, my guess is for some of you, if you're a person that's investigating Jesus, if you've not, never made a decision to follow Jesus, my guess is for some of you that even right now, the Holy Spirit is working in your heart even as I speak right now. And if that's the case, maybe, I'm just, I'm just guessing, maybe God brought, maybe you're not even a church person. You don't even go to church, but you're here today for some reason. And if that's the case, listen, I believe that maybe the only reason that God brought you here is simply so that you could hear this. The Holy Spirit is trying to get your attention. And he wants to tell you about the good news of Jesus Christ. He wants you to stop chasing the things you're chasing. He wants you to turn and follow him, just like the Ethiopian eunuch. If that's you, I don't know who, maybe it's someone. If that's you, I would encourage you to, today, like the Ethiopian eunuch, man, stake in the ground, make a decision. I'm done running. I'm done trying to figure it out on my own. I'm done pushing it away. I'm going to make a decision, man. I'm following Jesus. I know the Spirit is working in my life. I know he's calling him to me. I'm going to respond to it. I'd encourage you to do that. And if you do that, look, it's not, you don't have to do anything tricky. It's not like you have to say a magic prayer or sacrifice any small animals or anything like that. To follow Jesus, it's simply between your heart and God's heart. Just be honest. Say, God, I, I want to follow you. I realize that my way isn't working. I want to give my life to you. I want to follow you. And maybe for you, for the first time, you want to make that decision. In a moment, we're going to have some time to pray. I would encourage you just to pray to God and talk to him in that. And then... If you make that decision, like the Ethiopian eunuch, I would encourage you to get baptized. Get, go public with it, man. And if you want to get baptized, you can talk to your life group leaders, or you can even, on the connection card, the baptism service coming up, we encourage you to jump in on that as well. All right? I want to encourage you to that. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and uh, as they do, I want to close us in prayer, and uh, we'll call it a day. Jesus, I just want to say thank you for your word to us this morning. 
I do want to pray for those of us who follow you, God, first and foremost, because, um, Lord, it's, in, it's liberating for us to know that it is your spirit that's doing the work, that you are the senior partner. But, God, it's equally as, uh, it's equally as challenging to us because we know that in order for us to, uh, to participate and experience the joy of, uh, of working with you, that it means that we must be responsive to what you're doing. Lord, I confess to you already, even in my own heart, God, I'm, sometimes I'm so fixed on my own agenda, sometimes I'm so focused on what I'm doing that I, I'm, not, I'm just not in tune with what you're doing. Help us, God, to be more in, to just want to do what you do, to be where you are. Help us to be like Philip, who just responds. You know, you just, you lead him and he listens. I pray that that would be like us. Help us to listen, God. When we go into the workplace, when we go into the supermarket, when we go into the, the family reunion, I pray, God, that you would help us to just pause for a moment and ask you, what do you want, God? What do you want? How, do, how would you like to use me today? I pray that would be our heart, God. Because we know that when we miss opportunities, it's not just that we're missing an opportunity, it's also that we're missing the joy, the incredible joy that comes in being used by you. So God, I do pray for that. I pray for the person who's investigating you, who doesn't know you, God. And I know that for some today that your spirit is working in them in a mighty way, and I pray that they would not resist it. I pray, Lord, that they would, they would, uh, they would surrender to your spirit this morning because you have good news. God, I pray for the person that maybe still has a lot of questions, that's investigating, is not sure. I ask you that because you work through the gospel and because you work through other Christians, I pray that because of that, they would not search alone. I'm so thankful they're here, God, because um, it's a privilege and an honor that they would count it, uh, that they would want to join us as they investigate. And so I pray, God, that you would work in their heart even, connect them to maybe a life group or other people who follow you. Ultimately, God, we want to thank you because your spirit is the one that saved us. I know, God, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I think back to how you saved me. God, I watch how your Holy Spirit used all of these things in my life, and I'm thankful for it, God. And so now I pray as we go from this place that you would encourage us. I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that we'd be obedient to what it is that you want for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.